Welcome to the Before You Buy or Sell a Business podcast, where we help buyers and sellers learn more about the acquisition process, discuss recent transactions, and stay up to date on the latest news in the market. Here's your host, Jared Johnson. All right. So today on the podcast, really excited. Got another Jared. Spells the name a little different, but was a uh, past client. Um, really excited to talk today because we're going to actually go through a deal that didn't end up closing. Uh, we can kind of dive into why that happened. And then from there, um, you know, kind of discuss what Jared's up to now. So how are you doing so far today? Good, man. Appreciate you. Cool. It's, uh, excited to share the story and talk about you and I's past deal. Yeah, it's been a little while. I say, um, yeah. I want to say, I think it was, was it 2021 when we, we started talking? It, it was, actually was uh, 2020. So okay. it was yeah, it's been a while. right after COVID. Went by fast. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You'd so. come to me and you were working on a deal. I think you had a, a term sheet from another lender and you said, hey, can you do better than this? And yeah. I said, absolutely. And yeah. I really wanted to do that deal for a couple different reasons. Um, so we were happy to, to get it. But I'm sure we can unpack that in a minute. Maybe we mm-hmm. can start uh, with your background. Give us a little idea of where'd you grow up, professionally, all that stuff. Sure, sure. Grew up in Austin, Texas. Um, I was actually a college, or sorry, I was a tennis player from age 6 to 20. So um, that was my life. I was one of those tennis nerds. I had tennis friends, tennis girlfriends. <laughs> like, I knew nobody outside of tennis. So from age 6, it was every weekend, traveling with my dad to different tournaments. Um Ended up like actually really hating the sport because <laughs> it became a job. Yeah, I did end up playing two years in college at a junior college, so that was cool and got that paid for. Didn't have a lot of student debt. Um, and then kind of fast forward, I just kind of went through this like you know, I went to University of North Texas, went through this corporate, you know, corporate chain of different companies. I was in mortgage banking, I was in tech, I worked for an insurance company, and then right before I met you. Um, I was at a company called Epsilon, which is a tech uh, data-driven marketing company. Um, and so, yeah, um, I had been on this like corporate train and I knew that there was, my, my dad's an entrepreneur. Uh, my, my brother owns a pest control company. Um, and I just knew, like my uncle has a business too. So I just knew like, all right, let me give this corporate thing a, a try first and then let's go kind of go out my own if, if I don't see anything like shining. Right. And so that's when I came across you and met you and I started searching for businesses. Yeah. How long were you looking for the business before you found this one? Um, it's a good question. So I, in, so we found that business in 2020, I want to say around like summertime 2020, but even pre COVID like 2018 and 2019, I dabbled in the search. Okay. Right. I was just kind of, all right, let me look once a month, see what's out there. And then for whatever reason, COVID hit and I'm thinking distressed, right? <laughs> Let's get the distressed businesses, right? right? We've heard, we we've read all the finance books. We've read all the millionaires, the Buffets of the world. Well, well that and we, you know, we, we, you know, went through 2008, 2009. And so you yeah. saw these people pick up real estate that could. And I remember that time too, because everybody kind of looked at it and said, Oh, there's going to be you know some deals here. We're going to find some stuff in the right. business, and then I feel like it it just kind of didn't happen. <laughs> no, know? no, it was like two months of distress, and then see you later. Yeah, it was a rough time for lenders um, to try to kind of figure out what we could do. The the bank I was at at that point, um, I want to say I had about 17 loans in closing, and they canceled all of them, but like one. 
and decided essentially they didn't want to do SBA lending. Oh my. Um, so I had to sit there and try to figure out what I was going to do because then nobody really knew what, what to do at yeah, that point. Yeah. It, was, it was an odd time. Um, and then we had to work on PPP and then all that crazy stuff. Um, so I was able to, to transition to a different lender and kind of pick up from there. But yeah, I was excited as well because I thought, you know, we're going to see some stuff here is going to come out. But we're also super scared that nothing was going to rebound and we we're going to have this crazy meltdown because remember the stock market like crashed one day and then came right back up <laughs> so yep. yeah there was like a two-day window to buy a distressed anything right, right. so so let's see so uh, how'd you end up finding the the business that we worked on together yeah so uh, you know we did I, I pretty much went down the usual track of most searchers right went biz by sell so after a couple months of scouring biz by sale, I found this company. Um, they were a they were kind of a concierge relocation and an organization like home organization company. So they'd go in there and your kitchens and and you know containerize, I guess, for lack of a better word, and just organize anything that you wanted in your kitchen, your room, your bedroom, your kids' rooms. And and so I was like. We were in negotiations, and I was about to write an LOI, and I was like, you know what? Let me, let me go see what their competitors are doing, right? And so this is kind of like we talk about proprietary search, right? From that point was just always what's on the marketplace, right? What's mm -hmm. on these biz buy sales of the world, but this time I was like, all right, well, let me try to do some cold outreach, and so I started reaching out to their competitors, and I just sent a simple LinkedIn message to one that I found had no idea what they were doing had no idea um, how much money they were even worth but I just said hey are you interested in selling your business and uh, they were like yeah let's talk so literally like one week later I'm on the phone with this guy that I've never met attempting to buy his business yeah well that's I mean I think that's probably one of the most interesting ones I've heard of um, and I would say you were probably ahead of the curve when it comes to kind of what we've evolved to now and i'm sure we can we'll, we'll get to that but with the the search fund idea um you know kind of really i feel came came about maybe about 11 12 years ago um but in that point it was a little different we had um i i guess i sound old but we had kids um like right out of you know mba or right out of school you know most of them went to ivy league schools they would kind of come to us and say i want to buy this seven million dollar business and my dad's friends are going to give me the money for the down payment and we kind of like laughed at them and said, you have no real experience. You don't know what you're doing. Like, go work and come back. So now a lot of people have started to actually finally come back with that. Um, but you, you know, you looked at it outside of the box to try to go and actually search for a business where at that point in time in 2019, 2020, most people weren't really doing that. Um, a lot of them were just hitting up the business brokers. So, you know, you had the the foresight to go and kind of look at that. So you know, I know you've you've kind of almost created a little bit of the the search fund buzz and and what's going on out there. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's kind of kind of cool to talk about. So, you got um, got them on the phone, started talking to them. How did the negotiations go? What'd you do as far as kind of your your due diligence at that point? Yeah, sure. So, and I guess I had learned a little bit of what I should ask for over my last few months of search. Right, actually seeing broker deals and how they've kind of organized their package. So I was like, all right, well, I'll just go ask for what I'm seeing it in other packages, right? right? In other deals, I'm looking, you know, three, ask for financials, tax returns, all that good stuff. 
Um, in terms of negotiation, so yeah, it, it started off very slow, right? It was like more like building a relationship, like getting to know each other. Um, and and then it was it kind of went on for like two or three months, right? It was like, you know, what you know, what basically the, the question came, what you know, what are you going to value my business at? And I told him, you know, I'm going to do like three and a half multiple, three X times your EBIT or whatever. I gave them some range, you know, because I didn't mm -hmm. know their financials. And they were like, okay. And so they sent me their financials, and then we kind of went back and forth for like another month and a half, right? And then, and I'm usually not a super aggressive, like salesy person, right? So mm -hmm. for me, doing cold outreach was a little bit unnerving anyway. And so I didn't really want to be pushy, but it came to a point where we were just going back and forth, we weren't getting anywhere. Things are just plateaued. So I finally sent an email and I said, look, you want to do this, I want to do this. Are you ready to go? Right, which is outside of my personality. And they were like, the next day, LOI was written. Let's go. You just need a little push for yeah. <laughs> So so but I think building that rapport with them, we talk about building rapport and relationships right. with the seller and buyers is super important. That rapport we built over the last two months allowed me to make a comment like that, you know, aggressively. Yeah, makes sense. So you got the LOI put together, started kind of looking for financing. Um How'd you start your search for when it comes to the financing side? Yeah, that's a good question. So I, I, you know, I, I Twitter, you know, mm -hmm. Twitter was a, was a source. I'd kind of dabbled on there and there started these little mini communities. SMB community was obviously being built up. Um, and we were just kind of like, you know, I would see other searches, maybe close a deal, other searches looking at a deal. And I would ask them, you know, what lenders are you using or, you know, who's the SBA guys out there? And then Live Oak always came up to the mm -hmm. top, right? And and then I actually went to searchfunderaswell.com, um, which is a good uh, social site for searchers. Most people probably, your, most of your audience probably knows, but for those who don't, I found a lot of resources there as to what lenders people were using. Um, and then, so yeah, I started with Live Oak and we can kind of dive into how that Live Oak transitioned. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think you also had a broker at one point, kind of helping. Oh you yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right. So I did have a broker. Um, that was a funny story. So um, I had a a, a broker, um, and and uh, so they took my entire financial package. Right, this is after the LOI. This is how I have the seller's financial package. I have my financial package. I'm just ready to let's go. So I sent it to the broker. Um, the broker had me pay an upfront like $2,500 fee, like exclusivity fee, mm -hmm. which again, I was green to the area. I didn't know. I just right. thought this was just normal, normal business. Right. So I, I was like, all right, here you go. So he went and shopped. Um, he went and shopped their package. I don't know, even know what banks he knew, but he came back with this one bank that had just ridiculous interest rate terms at the time. It was like, I want to say it was like six, 6%. Whereas I had just, you know, again, this is another help of the Twitter community. I know what people were getting, right? right? So I just talked to one guy who closed a deal with Liveoak. He's like, oh, I just got four eight, four nine, right? Obviously, this is before the big interest yeah, push, yeah, yeah. right? Got, <laughs> um, and so I was like, all right, this guy is, this is not cool, right? So I said, you got to go fight for me, right? You're a broker. That's what brokers do, right? Negotiate on your behalf. So I said, go fight for me. And he's like, well, no, this is this is what it is. And I was like, 
come on, you got to go fight for me. So I had to push him a little bit. So he said he went back. He said he did, and he came back. There was another thing, too, the um, the good faith deposit. Mm-hmm. He came. He wanted a $10,000 good faith deposit, which right. is not market, as you know. Um, I think his, the down payment requirements were higher, too, if I remember right. Yeah, they were yeah. slightly, slightly higher. Yeah, because I, re- I remember you. So you had reached out to me from my memory, you know, and you said, um, I want to, you know, give you a chance here. Can you can you do something better? And I looked at it and I said, oh, yeah, I know. That. I know that bank. Like, I know those guys. Um, and right. I, the credit manager actually worked with me for, man, probably eight, nine years. Yeah, yeah. And I said, yeah, it's kind of his MO. He likes a little bit more of a down payment. I said, I, I wouldn't do that to you. I, I sure. could do something a little bit better. And you said, all right, let me see. And then yeah. I remember you said um, you had the exclusivity, though, with that that broker. And you so you were like, well, let me see if I can get out of get this. Out of and I think I remember, right, you went to him and said, hey, I found something better. You know, can can you let me out of it? And he said, if you think you can find something better, yeah, I'll let you out of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So fortunately, you got out of it, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, which which made me happy. But um, I did. I did. Yeah. So we we ended up being able to work together, um, kind of go through the process. Um you know, one one thing that uh, you and I were discussing before we started the show was kind of working with the right person at the right bank. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I felt like with you, um, you know, on paper right away, um, maybe you had it looked a little rough on your experience. Yeah. Because somebody's just looking at your resume, right? They don't yeah. know you. They don't. They don't understand. You know what you've actually been through. A lot of times, what's crazy is from doing this for so long. I could talk to somebody for three or four minutes and understand if it's going to work, right? Mm-hmm. If they've got the experience, intelligence, education level, you know, whatever it needs to be to operate that business. So I felt comfortable with you, and the underwriter didn't necessarily push back, but kind of said, "Yeah, I don't, I don't know here." And I was like, "Wait, can we interview him? I'm like, get him on the phone." Mm-hmm. And you'll be fine. And then that's what we ended up doing. Yeah. And um, I remember your hair was like real long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, she got on. I mean, by the time I hung up, she's like, I love this guy. Like, <laughs> we're getting this thing done. Don't yeah. worry about it. So, yeah. you know, and kind of knowing what to do with uh, somebody's personality traits and kind of how they're doing. Because there's some people that maybe we don't want them on the phone, yeah. right? They yeah. might be great at whatever they're buying for that business, but True. they're they don't have, you know, the, kind of the swagger that you have, right? So. Yeah. Um, you know, we're able to do that, get yeah. approved. So uh, maybe kind of tell me, like, did you do anything specific for due diligence after the loan was approved? Um, maybe kind of what you dug into at that point. Yeah. Um, and I just want to cap off by saying, you know, I end up switching lenders, obviously, right? I, mm-hmm. I got out of that contract. And yeah. that's when I found Live Oak and you at the similar times. And mm-hmm. so... Um, going back to your point just finding the right person at the right bank but um tell me a question again in terms of oh sorry yeah we um we were just kind of asking what you did with due diligence okay after you got the loan approved so after i got loan approved i went and did um i didn't do a full q of e but Mm -hmm. i went and um hired this cpa i had I had looked at so many financials at this point, right, of different businesses that I felt comfortable. Like, right. it's funny, I hated accounting in college, but here I am, <laughs> we all like, did. scouring <laughs> scouring balance sheets and P&Ls, and I'm like, what am I doing? I used to hate this stuff. Um, and so I, um, you know, I felt comfortable, right? Mm-hmm. And, I, and, you know, I got their bank statements. I was matching a few things here and there, doing some due diligence on their ad backs personally. 
And then so I went to a CPA and basically, hey, can you just do a review of what I did and maybe dive in a little deeper on a couple of the ad backs and credit card statements and things like that. So that was a really cool experience because I didn't have to pay for a full Q of E, which I know is justified in some cases. But, you know, I try to tell my clients now is like you don't have to get a 35,000 Q of E all the time. Right. right. So, you know, in the business. So I did that. Um, that's from a financial standpoint of due diligence and then i started bringing in an attorney at this point too mm -hmm. and there was some negotiations too that i learned on the attorney is you know some of them offer hourly some are often fixed you know so right. i went with the fixed package because i just did obviously i wanted to be able to call him anytime right this right. was my first deal i knew i was going to rack up some hours <laughs> and so i i called him as many times as i possibly could as he's drawing up the purchase agreement and doing the legal due diligence on their side yeah. And so then, you know, we, you know, quality of earnings is definitely something we can kind of discuss a little bit. Um, starting to see people do it more and more. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think that it, it was something that was, you know, readily available to people uh, up until more recently. Um, and then you still have a lot of people that are kind of the mindset, they'll do it based on the size of the deal. Um, right. So I would say maybe around two million is kind of where you'll see people start to dig in a little bit further on the financials, yep. and then also just looking at what you're getting directly from the seller. If they're you know instantly providing everything you need, um, and they're not having those weird conversations where they're like, "Well, here's my financials and here's my tax returns, and there's some cash that right. you know comes in here and goes out there," most people are are having a little bit um, less chance of like running into fraud when when they're like on the on the sniff test on the front end it sure. doesn't look bad um so we're starting to be able to do kind of more of that so at least you were able to have somebody review it um and then of course having legal is is also an option for people um kind of similar the larger the deal the more you know in depth that you've got to look from a legal aspect so right. we'll have people sometimes that just rely on the broker and and i mean i've had people with no broker um that write up a two-page contract and mm -hmm. then i i kind of end up being the broker which is not fun yeah, right, <laughs> but right. um it is what it is so you should be getting paid double fees on that right yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. i would love that your loan fee and your broker fee yeah exactly so um you know obviously you learned a lot up into that that time um you know I, if i remember correctly um i think you even went and met with them at one point yeah. um yeah to kind of sit down and go through with it so then it didn't happen didn't end up closing right so maybe tell us what yeah. tell us what happened what broke down yeah so you know after after financial due, due diligence after legal due diligence purchase agreements almost ready we're kind of doing some back and forth let's go okay so let's finally meet in person uh, i think i went on site to their um to their office and then we went and had dinner and so dinner went well on-site visit looked cool i'm really starting to envision myself in the business right Especially when you walk in any office, you know, and or you're doing any like tour of any business, you like start picturing yourself like, all right, this could happen. Um, so it started getting very exciting at that point. And then um, there's a couple things that we started going back and forth on the purchase agreement. Um, one of the, one of the main ones was um, my my attorney wanted them to admit that. They're following gap accounting principles, right. right? And I'm sure you've probably run across this several times, but they wouldn't do that, right? So they came back and redlined, not basically, we're not 
abiding by gap principles and on, on like every section of the purchase agreement. And then there was a few reps and warranties in there um, that they were, they were also fighting back to. I think there was one that was, um, they didn't want any, uh, any indemnifications above mm. 10% of the purchase price or something like that, right? Mm. So these you're starting to see all these like kind of build up of things that they're being frustrated with, right? And so, um, you know, one of the things that really started kind of going south is our attorneys at this point started arguing against each other, right? So again, me being new to this, I was like actually rooting my attorney on. He was like, oh man, I got somebody fighting for me in this. I've been at this game for myself. I've been searching to just grinding, finally got a business, and now I got like somebody on my team fighting for me, right? Not realizing he's killing my deal. Yeah. And I'm like, oh crap, I might need to save this. But um, so, you know, at one point they started arguing, and then we kind of just, you know, cut the call. And then, um, you know, so the relationship at this point is just dwindling down, right? And, uh, you know, one, you know, after a couple of, of, of those arguments, um i was actually on twitter um we found something in due diligence right if i don't know if you remember this but we found that they had the ppp in the other income of the pnl which right. when i made the offer all it said was other income when i when we wrote the loi so after financial due diligence we thought we saw okay they have ppp income and other and they also had a sale of a personal asset a vehicle right and so i and this is kind of going back to Twitter and how we use bounce ideas off each other and use it as a community, right? So I posted on Twitter about, I, I posted a question. I said, hey, what would you guys do if you found PPP and other income and you had already valued it and a sale of a personal asset? Just to get, you know, I knew the answer. We all know right. the, the, the logic around that, what it should be. Well, and I think what it what we also discovered was that was their, you know, probably their QuickBooks statements or internally prepared financial statements. And a lot of times what happens is uh, those will be a little sloppy and a little messy because you have somebody that's not an accountant kind of dropping in journal entries. And then when it actually gets to the accountant, when they do the tax return, um, they will really clean it up and will find it. Right. And so this was also at a point in time where a lot of the banks, like we didn't really know even what to do with PPP or even how the government was going to, you know, tax it or include it as income and everything. So um, it, it was something new. Um, now it's easy to see because we'll, sure. we'll find it, you know, on the M1 statement or and then the same thing, sale of other assets. Yep. If it's on other income, the first thing I'll usually do is go look at the statements and see what it was. Yep. And a lot of times people are selling vehicles and stuff um, and they're having significant amount of money there. Yeah. So we have to back that out. Same yep. thing with the PPP because yep. it, it shouldn't be classified as normal revenue. Yep. So once you see that, then you've got to take it out. Yeah. Um, and then I'm sure you, you went back to him and said, hey, the valuation yeah. is based off of a multiple of SDE. Well, now if I go and I remove this other income because it's not normal recurring revenue, then, you know, it's going to automatically adjust the valuation exactly. of the company. Right? Exactly. So I kind of held, you know, and, and, and I think we still had some room to play with on the yeah. debt service, debt service coverage ratio. So we had some room, but it was more of an ego thing. Like, they didn't they didn't see it the way we saw it right and i said you know what like I'm, i've got to stay firm on this and so um you know all that to say you know the twitter you know i post on twitter they, they end up seeing the twitter post oh <laughs> so i got a call like 
I think two days after I posted that, again, I didn't I didn't put anything that would remotely signal or lead you to this company or right. these owners in any form or fashion. And so um, they got super mad. I got this call and it was like, hey, you tweeting about our deal? And I go, I'm yes, but not specifically, right? There's nothing to lead you back to you. Right. And that just ruined, like that was like the final straw. And again, we were, you had sent me the approval. I want to lay this out. You had sent me approval. We had a commitment letter. We had the funds rating. My investors, I had raised $350,000 from two investors. Funds were ready. Uh, you had sent the approval. And we're going into closing in two weeks, right? So we're almost there. Yeah. And then I get this call. I don't think we could do this, Jared. Uh, it was like just heartbreaking Yeah. after like five or six months. Yeah, I remember you calling me and I was just like, what are you like no, yeah. no no you want me to talk to him like let me you know i've i've been able to save a lot of deals yeah. by calling and talking to him but i think at, at the end of the day what i've what i've kind of told a lot of people is when the deal dies like that like nine times out of ten it was supposed to die and so people will kind of come back to me later and say man i got this way better deal i'm so glad i didn't buy that you know moving company or whatever and and then it makes me happy because i'm like yeah that's a that's a you know kick. Yeah. and then you're also Thinking you're about buying a money. moving company right now yeah who's moving yeah so, so it, it might have been a blessing it ended right? up working out yeah. yeah yeah they had some pretty cool clients and stuff i think you would have done a really good job it's with true. that business but yeah it's it's just how it goes sometimes so it gets expensive. Um, I, I talk about it a lot. The the ebbs and flows with the you know the emotions during the deal. Yeah. Um, you've got a, a seller who is highly vested in in their business, and they feel like they've kind of raised this kid, and they're just going to hand it off to some guy who's tweeting about him. Like, <laughs> can't do that, right? <laughs> yeah. So right. Yeah. Unfortunately, it happens sometimes. So. Yeah. Um, I want to say you've, you've had a couple other deals that you were looking at. Uh, you know, from that point, you were yeah. still very interested in searching for a business and finding something. Um, you developed some good relationships uh, with some investors. Yep. But I think you also uh, started to, to get a little bit of a following um, on Twitter. And I think the whole, um, you know, small to medium sized business, uh, you know, thing on Twitter was slowly growing at that point. You kind of got jumped into that and mm -hmm. helped it grow. So it's kind of cool. Um, I still need to spend more time on Twitter. We we're talking about it earlier. I don't right. know how people sit on there all day when I'm already working 15 yeah. hours. It's crazy. But yeah. Um, so I think you looked at a couple other deals. Maybe if you want to talk briefly about like what happened with those ones, just so people yeah. can have an idea of how deals do end up going wrong sometimes. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I'll talk about one other, uh, which was it's more of a, it was a larger deal, right? So it's mm -hmm. kind of out of the SBA world. But um, it was uh, like 20, 20, call it 20, 25 million dollar deal, right? It was a refrigeration company out of Texas. And so that was my first, so that moving company was my first time raising money, right? Mm -hmm. Never had experience raising money. So I was like, okay, I built a little confidence, right? I just raised $350,000, right? I felt like a freaking you know, hero in that regards, even though the deal failed. And so I was like, well, let's take that positive energy and see what we could do with it. So um, I knew this guy that was selling the refrigeration company. So I reached out to him and I said, hey, I think I could probably take a hit swing at, you know, you know, raising the money and buying your company. He's like, cool, talk to, he had an investment banker on the deal. He's like, go and talk to him. So I start talking to investment banker, see where they're at in the process. They had like three or four bids on the table. Um, 
So I said, okay. So I went and I think started reaching out to my investor network that I built. Um, started posting a couple things here and there on social media. And it turns out I ended up raising $20 million from private equity in two weeks. So I spent two weeks back-to-back calls with invest high net worth individuals, institutional investors on this deal. And I even skipped Christmas, unfortunately. <laughs> I skipped Christmas. I like, didn't go to, we go to Michigan every year for my wife's uh, Christmas. Uh-huh. Luckily, I have a supportive wife, but yeah, we, we um, all need one of those. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> they're, they're your number one business partner, hands down. She didn't even bat an eye. She let me do it. She knew it was at stake. Yeah. And so um, I ended up raising the money over Christmas. So we went in with a sh- pretty strong bid. Um, I'm getting texts from the seller, right? You're, oh, you guys are in. You're strong. Like, I, I don't even know how you just did this, Jared, but like, you're good. Like, yeah, if you can do that, you can do anything. Yeah. Right? That's so, probably how they looked at it. And so they were like, you know, I'm getting this positive feedback. And then we're about to go in, like, as the winner of the bid. Um, and then this P firm comes out of nowhere, this large, large P firm who already owned like five refrigeration uh. companies. And he was rolling over equity. Mm-hmm. So he was like, all right, I'm not only going to get, they came in at like an eight and a half times. We yeah. came in at like a six, yeah. a little bit over a six. And so even though that deal hadn't hit LOI yet, we were, we were there. Right. And it was like, I had spent a, three months of energy into this business, doing due diligence, preaching and, and pitching. Um, so, you know, I don't know if that was like a, like a failed deal, but it was just, so much energy that went into that and i was like oh man yeah right. yeah playing in the the bigger deals like that especially when they're they're rolling in the equity uh, maybe you could explain what that means to, yeah to some people yeah so in this case um the owner was going to roll over so he's going to sell let's call it 90 percent of his company and he was going to roll over 10 percent, which is now the new rules in sba right which is awesome um he's going to roll over 10 percent so he still had 10% equity in the company. So, you know, what does that mean from a distribution standpoint? It can mean a lot of things. But in this case, you know, let's say EBITDA was like $3 million. Well, he's going to get his equity distributions on a quarterly basis, right? Also, that 10% is now part of a larger platform, right? right. He was doing $3 million in EBITDA, but the entire private equity firm from a refrigeration standpoint was up at like 10 million EBITDA. So that 10% equity, uh, which just grew overnight unrealized right. after that transaction. So he can now exit for even another couple million dollars. Right. right. So so their whole plan with the, the PE firm is to continue to roll them up, eliminate expenses along the way. So it just becomes more and more profitable. Um, they gain market share a lot easier. And then eventually they either go public or they'll turn and sell it to most likely a public company. So looking at it long term for yeah. him makes the most sense yeah. um, rather than, you know, with with you guys, because he's going to end up with this huge exit right. down the road. Right. So, yeah, something yeah, interesting. There's, there's a funny comment there because he was always like he always told me he's like, even if you're not the highest bidder, price doesn't matter. <laughs> at the end of the day everybody guess says what that. mattered right yeah <laughs> right everybody says that yeah, yeah. so that's how it goes sometimes but okay yeah. so at what point did you kind of realize hey i'm i'm kind of good at this whole process and that you know you're getting a following on twitter um and then on top of that you're kind of realizing that you enjoy talking to the people so when did you kind of make this pivot into hey i'm going to stop full-time searching for a business and do something different. And then maybe you can kind of lead into what you're doing now. Yeah. 
I think it was two things. So the first thing would be I started advising before I started advising. And what I mean by that is people are reaching out to me because I'm yeah. being transparent on my failures and the stories. And I think really people really respected that. I was just throwing my L's out there, right? Yeah. And so they would reach out to me like, who are you using for SBA? How do I think about QV? How do I think about an attorney? So I'm, you know, I'm helping you know, people, I'm advising them on things to do and how to address certain situations, you know, for, you know, the last two, two, three years as during my search. So I was like, you know what? So that, that really kind of stuck out that people were reaching out to me. And then the second thing that stuck out was I was always very nervous about being an operator. We talk about this all the time, right? Everyone talks about, all right, once the deal's done now, the real work starts, right? And so, I learned that I like the art of the deal, right? I like the raising capital. I like sourcing the debt. I like putting it together. Mm-hmm. I realized that I don't think I was fit out to be an operator at this time, current mm-hmm. moment of my life. So with those two combinations of aspects of taking forth, I was like, you know what? I'm going to start advising. And so you know, here we are right now. I'm with a company called Rivera Capital. My partner, Luke Ellis, um, uh, founded the company like five years ago. He's had 10, 15 years experience in uh, as at a brokerage firm. And so he started his own. Um, and I hopped on with him. So I'm a minority partner in the firm. And so we just help, you know, people buy and sell businesses, right? Pretty simple. So if you had a buyer or seller that uh, was thinking about buying or selling, um, and they came to you, kind of what's the process? What do you usually do with them? Sure. So... You know, I think it's kind of it's kind of a couple tiers, but I'll ask them. You know, you know, what are you looking for? What's your criteria? Um, and then, you know, how quickly are you trying to make a move? Um, in some cases, we we have so right now we have retained clients, right? Uh, we retain buy side clients and retain sell side clients. So they're paying us a monthly fee to either search for them or handle the entire buying process for them, right? right? Um, some are just kind of operating their own search and we're doing it more on a contingent basis, right? Okay. So you handle your, you know, buyer says, I want to handle the search, but I want to bring you in to help me transact the entire process. Okay, we'll just do it more on a success fee contingent basis. But if you want us to handle the search, talk to brokers, do proprietary search, we'll handle that for, to, for you as well at a certain fee on the and buy side. It's probably a lot easier for you considering you went through that, right? You had to, I'm you had to kind of figure it out yeah, yourself. Yeah. yeah, that's the cool thing. I, I'm i essentially doing the same thing that I did, right? right? I'm just looking for businesses for other people, right? Yeah, and you, but you've been able to continually hone it and yeah. figure out, like, yeah. okay, this is what I had to deal with, so now I know how to do it. And then every single deal, you just get better and better at it. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. So, um, you know, if somebody's looking to buy as well, um, are you helping them raise, you know, raise equity? Correct. Okay. Yeah. So, if somebody said, "Hey, I'm probably the right person to buy this business," they want to be an operator and they have the experience, but they're light on liquidity. They could come to you, and you'd be able to help raise yeah. raise for the down payment. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I think this is be- becoming more prevalent. So I don't want to say what we're doing is some phenomenon, right? go find a lot of investors in in many different places right Mm -hmm. but i just think that you know 
we've built a, a network and a database they kind of know what deals that we bring across right yeah kind of those old boring businesses that cash flow right yeah. so our investors know what to expect it's not some venture these aren't investors that you know are doing venture capital or some startups they they look at these specific deals that are cash flowing and they think of it more of it like a more a real estate play with better upside yeah for sure and they're they're also not going to come in and say i want a board seat and i'm going to tell you what to do every single day exactly that that's where i think a lot of people um as they're looking to sell their business um they get approached to sell a piece of the equity yep. but what they don't you know understand and what a lot of times what happens is somebody comes in and tells them exactly what to do mm-hmm. and ends up you know most of the time ends up going south so right, right, right. yeah so it makes sense if you've got individual investors family offices people with you know capital that are looking to deploy it and get a return without trying to tell you what to do then i think it makes perfect sense and it's it's interesting so i think maybe about five six years ago i i thought about this like you know well why can't someone bring in the down payment the banks at that time were were definitely not looking to you know really? get comfortable with it. Really, um, yeah, it's it's very interesting to see over the last, I'd say about ten years, mm-hmm. how business acquisitions with SBA lending has evolved. I mean, it was to the point where it was twenty five percent down, no questions asked, like minimum. If you could get at at twenty five, maybe. 10% seller carry and like 15% right. down. It had to be you, no no outside investors. Exactly, yeah. And it was it was crazy to see that these banks, and even then it was so hard. It was a lot of smaller deals, you know, real good, uh, you know, auto repair, restaurants, stuff like that. That was pretty easy to see. Like those are the types of deals that trade hands a lot. Yep. We were never doing six, $7 million, you know, tech companies, IT, you know, services, stuff like sure. that, that we're doing yeah. now. Um, so it's kind of nice to see it go, you know, from that all the way to now people are doing, you know, 95%, you, you can do a hundred percent if you're buying another company. Um, but it, about halfway through kind of the, the rise of it, I said, you know, someone should start a fund or something to put in the money to help with the down payment. The banks hated that. They didn't want to do it. They don't mm-hmm. want somebody to not have skin in the game. Right. And so. Uh, I think what we're seeing now is kind of a, a good, healthy blend yeah. where typically the the true you know operator and that's going to borrow the money and be the guarantor on the loan is usually still bringing some money to the sure, table. Sure. Um, is that something that your investors are looking for as well? Or maybe you can kind of give me an idea of the appetite of the investors. Yeah, I'd say the, the appetite is at the end, really, at the, I tell people at the end of the day, this most investors... They want to see the IRR, and yeah. they want to see that return on investment. Right? Yeah. You could go. You can pitch. You can create this nice fancy pitch deck. You can go, um, you know, to Conver or whatever and design this thing, whatever. But they just want to know well, what is my cash, right? And, right. And 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 I will say this too. There's a difference between a guy with a net worth of five million and and a guy with a net worth of fifteen million. Yeah. He's gonna think a lot different, right? They're both millionaires, right? But that fifteen million is probably going to be less on you than right. the guy with five million, yeah. right? Because the guy with five million that that might be his boat money or his trailer money or his his Airbnb, his house that he had for his wife or whatever. I don't know, right? So he's going to be probably a little bit he or she, I should say, a little bit more difficult to deal with. And then, you know, again, that's just a pit. That's just based on my experience. But um, yeah, and. You know, they're just looking for that cash on. They're seeing the potential in this mm-hmm. SMB world, right? That's really what's what you've seen in the last two or three years. 
yes, they're going to still have their real estate plays, a lot of these guys, right? But they're also seeing the numbers, right, and the projections. Yes, investing in business is more risky than real estate. We know that. But we also know there's there's a higher cash distribution, higher higher upside as well, and they they want to they want to be a part of that, and they feel like they get part of that PE world at a very small level, and they don't have to fight against you know the Black Rocks and all that other world. Right. They can just go directly to these deals. So that's their appetite, right? That's what they're seeing. Yeah, it makes sense. We're we're seeing a lot of the the PE firms come down lower and lower too. That's and, true. And buying you know up some of the smaller businesses and. You know, in in a way, it's it's making it more difficult for everybody, but then it's also upping the valuations because they're willing to pay more. So we're seeing, and it's funny. So I went back and looked um, in like 2000, I think it was 12. I went and looked at a business appraisal that I I, I found, and um, it was crazy. It was like the same exact deal now, probably would have had a three and a half times multiple, and it was like two and a quarter. And so it was crazy to think like. It was difficult to obtain capital at that point. It was it was nearly impossible to find an SBA lender that would do business acquisitions, right. and you could have got a better deal if you could actually get it done, right? right? So people that were paying cash or maybe getting the seller to carry a large amount or something, they were doing great. And then now you're at this point where sometimes I'm scratching my head at the multiples, <laughs> like why would you buy that? You're not going to make right. any money, you right. know. So um, and then as private equity continues to come down because they have all this liquidity, they don't know what to do with. Mm-hmm. And then like you were, we were talking about earlier, they're rolling up companies, they're pushing up those values. So. Hopefully they'll we'll hit like a little bit of a ceiling yeah. there because yeah. it'll get to a point where it doesn't cash flow. Yeah. And then it'll get to a point where your investors are like, no, I'm okay. I don't I don't want to put in money because I'm not going to get the same return because I'm essentially overpaying for the business. Right. So yeah, it makes me a little which, nervous. Which is probably like, you know, you you're you're I see you closing some deals. I see some transactions in the marketplace on our side, and I just see there's still transactions. Oh yeah. If 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 I don't know what your thoughts are on this, but if you would have guessed a year ago that your the level of activity would still be, you know, it's maybe not going through the roof, but still stable, I I would have not guessed this. I don't know about you. But. No, I mean it's kind of the same thing during COVID we talked about earlier. Like the the middle of 2020 was probably like the the slowest it's ever been. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually kind of enjoyed a month or two of. Like just sitting there and hanging out with my kids and not right. working 60 hours. But then right. I started to get real nervous. Like, well, are people going to buy businesses? Are they going to sell businesses? We had a lot of people pull them off the market. There wasn't much transactions going on. And then I, you keep, I feel like every single year we keep saying, this can't keep going this way. <laughs> it can't keep increasing. Right. So last year I did just under 50 million. Okay. Um, I'm almost at 50 million right now and we're in middle of July. Oh so I'll probably do 85 to 100 um, oh and I'm not slowing down at all. I'm like it's crazy That's like so crazy. yeah, I need another assistant probably. <laughs> um but it, yeah, it's so I'm not seeing it slow down, but I think even looking at some of the new guidelines with the SBA, um it doesn't look like they want it to slow down either. They're That's making it help, easier right? to buy businesses. Yeah. Um, you had mentioned earlier about um, the seller kind of staying on, essentially um, rolling in some some equity. Um, they actually came out yesterday. Um, the SBA said that anybody that has ownership in an acquisition like that has to be a guarantor on the loan. So okay, new. so not it's not the twenty percent rule anymore. Correct. Yeah. So even if they have less than twenty percent, they still have to be a guarantor. Yes. 
Ooh, didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, so the the new SOP comes out next month. Okay. Um, or it'll sorry, it'll go into effect next month. Yeah. So that's probably what we're gonna see. So a lot of times, what the SBA does is they will roll out all the new rules, <laughs> and they'll say they go into effect in two months. Yeah. But they make the rules extremely vague yeah. when they come out. So we're all sitting here trying to interpret them and, and get them to make sense. Wow, and then okay. finally, they'll give us examples and they'll say, "This is what we meant." And so that's what they just so did they, yesterday. One, you want one percent? You got to you got to be a PG. Yeah. So now we still have a couple of weeks, so it might change. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But you, the, you saw how excited the community was, oh, right? Yeah. Well, it made perfect sense too, yeah. though. From from the way we look at it. Um, oftentimes it, it's a little bit of a double-edged sword because a lot of times we want the seller to stay involved, especially mm -hmm. if there's licensing that, that needs to transfer, right? And you have a lot of these deals where somebody is really, really good at whatever widget they make or whatever service they provide, but they are terrible when it comes to sales or, or accounting or inventory management. I mean, if I had a dollar for every deal where they say, oh, the seller doesn't even, you know, do their own accounting, they... They don't do their financials until year end. You're like, what? Yep, like, yep. So you throw in this good partner, right? That has some some good experience, good education, and and maybe you know fulfills that side that they're missing, and and we love to see that, right? Um, so we were we were kind of excited about it. the The only thing that I get a little nervous about is um, most deals that do go bad is the partnership breaks down, mm -hmm. and so you get a little nervous that you're bringing in a buyer. Um, who's most likely, you know, younger mm -hmm. than in buying it from an older seller who's done things a certain way for 25 years. I don't, this kid doesn't know what he's talking about, you know, right, and, right. and it, it blows up. And so we get a little nervous with that. But yeah. now I think uh, it, it's it's going to be less likely that a seller is going to want to provide a personal guarantee. Um, oh, for sure. I think we'll probably see it happen maybe if it's like, they're selling to an employee or general manager or something like that. Yeah, um, that's true. And they don't have the liquidity to put down. So we might not see those happen as much. Yeah. Um, but at least they've they've loosened up a little bit on the down payment yeah. requirements. So Matter that's fact, helping we're going, as well. We're going in. Uh, we just got an executed LOI with with a 10% rollover. Oh, so well. we're going to need to address that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know yesterday I was, I so, was uh, recording all day and I, I yeah. wasn't on my, my phone or my email. And then... I finally get on my phone. I have like 15 text messages from everybody mad. <laughs> and I'm right, like, oh, right, no, right. They, they must have changed something. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, yeah. man. So, yeah, we've covered a lot. Um, you know, you've mentioned a couple times that you just weren't ready to be an operator and keep searching. Um, but I think maybe you look at it a little different. You kind of almost became an operator of something different. Yeah. Um, that's a good point. Do you think you'll ever go back into searching and, or, you know, maybe something will land on your desk one day that you're like, okay, this makes yeah. sense. I can do it. You yeah. Know, do you think that'll happen? You know, I don't know. And so the way I kind of approach life now is like, you know, some you ever you ever really wanted something and you, you try to control every aspect to get that goal and you didn't get it. Yeah. And it just really didn't turn out. So, you know, the more the more I the older I get, the more I approach life as more opportunistic, right? Mm -hmm. Like if there's a business that I really love um, and that I can really see myself diving into, I would, yeah, hands down, we'd look at it, right? And so even my partner, Luke, and I, we talk about uh, maybe we should buy something, right? That we can still do our thing, right? but still run, you know, hire an operator. Yeah. I think that's what I'd really do, right? Yeah. So one of the deals that we didn't talk about that failed, um, uh, we were post-LOI. I had actually had an operator in place. Mm. And so I had an operator in place, 
We had a contract agreement and everything. We found out the financials weren't on par, of course. But um, so that that uh, the business we we're going to buy ended up hiring the oh, person that I found as the CEO to run that company. So <laughs> like, but no, to be frantic, it wasn't like out of, um, you know, bad intention. They did ask me. Right. Okay. But it was just, pr- it was, it was proof to me that that was going to work. Right. Right. Cause yeah. I found a really good operator that had experience in everything. Um, so that's what I would do if, if, if I, if I, if we do go down that path. Do something like that. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, like I said, there's a lot, we've covered a lot. I'm sure we could do another you know, one we we might need to just do a full podcast of just Jared and Jared or something. Yeah, yeah, we do. <laughs> we'll figure yeah. it out. But um, I always ask two questions at the end. Um, so first one is, have you ever had a mentor, or do you have a mentor? Um, I've had plenty of mentors that came and gone, um, and so, and and I think in part some of it was probably my fault, and some of it was probably their fault, right? And so I think. I didn't follow up as much as I should, you know, with that mentor, or maybe I had more expectations than, than I should have of them. But, um, you know, really I have one mentor right now and, and, uh, it's God, right? Like I, I'm a very Christian faith driven individual and, you know, and I think it's come from all those mentors that just came out of my, like, I've been so disappointed. I've mm-hmm. met some really cool people on the journey that I thought were going to be with me. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and here I am like not with them. Yeah. And so, and that's not to say don't find a mentor. It's just be very careful who you choose. Interview them just as much as they interview you. Right. Because yeah. you have that potential to to be something great. Right. And so don't, you know, find your mentor, but just be very careful about who you choose. Yeah. Some great advice. Yeah. Thanks. And, uh, last one, um, you know, you've been successful, you've done a lot of things, you know, you were a a tennis star, um, (laughs) at a young age, you know, uh, you've, you've become, you know, one of the experts in, in the industry, but what motivates you? I got three kids, a loving, supporting wife. So living in this great state of California, um, can be taxing. (laughs) literally (laughs) so from a financial aspect that definitely motivates me um but you know more so it's it's i think it's freedom right like you said i've now although i i I, although i didn't want to operate a company i still am some form of operator right now as a minority partner but i work hard every day I work hard every week, but I have the freedom to work the hours that I want to work. Right. At the end of the day, I'm a sales guy, right? So as, as long as I'm producing, I can take that freedom and go on a vacation. I can have that freedom. I don't have to answer to anybody, right? Yeah. And so that's really what motivates me is is just being free not to not work, but being free to be able to choose when I want to work hard, right? Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Some great, uh, great advice there. So, where can people find you? Uh, yeah, Twitter is SMB Capital with a K, K A P I T A L. Um, and then you know, uh, LinkedIn's fine as well. Jared okay. Osborne, J A R R Y D, unlike my man here, J A R E D, <laughs> which is the normal spelling. Yeah. Um, J A R Y D Osborne, O S B O R N E, uh, at LinkedIn. Cool man. Thank you. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening. 
We hope you found this podcast informative and helpful. Please don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast player. For more information, or if you'd like to discuss a transaction, please go to www.jarrettwjohnson.com.